I'll be reading James 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live there and do this or that. life is a very complex enterprise. It consists of a great many decisions which affect a great many people. Often those decisions are made correctly. Often those decisions are made incorrectly. But making correct decisions in life depend greatly on one's priorities. If one's priorities lie with the physical his spiritual life will suffer. But if one places his priorities with God, his whole life will be blessed if he works diligently in his whole life. Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew six thirty three. One anonymous writer said, Life is a mystery unfolded. Life is a struggle, face it. Life is beauty, praise it. Life is a puzzle, solve it. Life is opportunity, take it. Life is sorrowful, experience it. Life is a song, sing it. Life is a goal, achieve it. Life is a mission, fulfill it. I think that is the right question, isn't it? What is my mission in life? Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Christ commanded the lawyer, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, Matthew 22, 37. What is the all of man? Well, to fear God and keep His commandments. That is the all of man, isn't it? Solomon was right. Solomon knew exactly what he was talking about. We are to love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. James knew the right question to ask each of us. For what is your life? James four, fourteen. What is your life? Not my life. Not your neighbor's life, not your friend's life, but what is your life? I think that is the question each of us must answer and know. What is my life? What have I done with my life? What have I done with my life to make it special, to make God proud of it? Publius Cyrus, a Latin writer of maxims who flourished in the first century B.C., was a Syrian who was brought as a slave to Italy, but because of his wit and talent, he won his freedom and his favor of his master. He was freed and educated. He said this, 
When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. He said, live your life in such a manner when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. William James said, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. We need to ask the right questions in this life if we're going to find our way. We need someone to help us out of our lostness, so to speak, and to gain the life we need to be living. The problem the rich young ruler had was even though he was wealthy materially, he still had a big old empty hole inside of himself. At least he knew to ask, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew ten seventeen. When Michelangelo was a young boy, he came to... Uh, the master sculptor, asking to be accepted as a student. The sculptor told the young Angelo that he didn't even have any idea what he was asking. He didn't even realize what sculpting meant. He said, this will take your life, said the master. Michelangelo replied, what else is life for? Solomon said the same thing about living for God. I seldom use the word you when I preach. It's kind of awkward for me. I've sat through a whole lot of sermons where I've heard the preacher talk to the audience and use the word you a whole lot, and it's kind of awkward for me when I'm sitting in the audience, and it's particularly awkward for me when I'm doing the preaching. But I'm going to do that this morning because that's what James did. I'm going to use the word you, but rest assured I'm speaking to myself when I use that word you because I need to hear it as much as anyone. And I include myself every time I preach because I need to hear the message too. What is your life? That's the title of the sermon this morning. What is your life? Well, I think when we ask that question... Part of the answer needs to be, my life needs to be a life of persistence. If we're going to be persistent Christians, or if I'm going to be a persistent Christian, I need to be able to flee when it is necessary. In a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he told him to do that on one occasion, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. But I look at that statement just a little differently now. I used to look at it, from simply the standpoint of getting away from things that are bad, following after those things that are good, but now I look at it from another point of view. I look at it from a point of view from the idea that Timothy had someone in his life that told him to look after himself. He had someone in his life who said, Timothy, you need to take care of yourself. He had someone in his life who said, Timothy, you need to pay attention to what's going on. Timothy, you need to not participate in things that are not good for you. Timothy, you need to stay away from the sin in this life when the world comes calling. Timothy, don't do those things that are going to cause you to lose your soul. Don't participate in things just because the world says it's okay. 
Timothy, don't do things just because everyone else is doing them. Timothy, don't. I'm not going to be your friend. I'm going to be someone who loves you. Timothy, don't do those things. No, it's not enough to not do them myself. I'm going to help someone else not do them. Timothy, flee youthful lust. And we don't have all the world all the time in the world either. Time's going to come to an end at some point. We don't know when that's going to be. It might be that my time is going to come to an end pretty quickly or not. But the time of this world is going to come to an end at some point. So I need to help all those that I can. In fact, it's so short, James said it's like a vapor. It's like a, a puff of steam. And I'll tell you who is persistent in this life. And Brother Ron had mentioned him this morning. I think Joe Weir is persistent. <laughs> Man, he is persistent, isn't he? 94 years old. Still got plans. Living like it might end any moment, but he's got plans in case it doesn't. And one of these days when Ron grows up, he wants to be like him. And so do I. Never misses a service unless it's absolutely necessary. And sadly enough, it's necessary right now, but he'll be back. He'll be back. Paul didn't just tell Timothy to flee. He also told him to find something, didn't he? He said, Timothy, find a life of righteousness. Flee the bad things. I care enough about you to tell you that, but I also care enough about you to tell you to find things that are good in your life. Find a life of righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Congregate with those people who will be a good influence in your life. Don't hang out with the dregs of society. Don't hang out with those people that are going to cause you to lose your soul. Spend time with people that will lift you up all the way to heaven. That's what you need to do. Don't spend time with people that will drag you straight down to hell. That's not what you want. That's not what you need. And that's not what I want for you. That's the kind of person Paul was. He loved Timothy. Paul was reminded of other people in Timothy's life who was also those kind of folks. He said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also, 2 Timothy 1.5. You see, Timothy had a mother and a grandmother that was just exactly like that too. He had a mother that said, Timothy, don't be hanging out with the trash. He had a grandmother that said, Timothy, don't do that. You know, I had a grandmother like that too. He said, don't be hanging out with the trash. You hang out with people to be a good influence in your life people who care about you, who love you. If someone cares about you and loves you, they'll tell you things like that. He had someone who loved him enough to guide him toward God. And God will lead you right into heaven. Solomon said, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. Plant that seed in the child so they'll remember it. But don't then, that doesn't mean then turn the child loose and let them do whatever they want to. You continue to water that seed, cultivate that seed, 
and continually to tell them about that. And if your child doesn't obey when they leave the home, every time you see them, you tell them about it because you love them, right? That's what we do. That's the kind of person Paul was. What's your life? Are you helping your family and others find their way to God like Paul did? Are you helping them find their way to God or are you helping drag them down to hell? Many years ago, there was a fire in a well-known Chicago hotel. Flames had blocked the normal routes. Some people on the 10th floor went out onto a balcony to escape the smoke, but they were trapped there. It looked as if they were going to die. However, one young man in the group braved the smoke, went back into the building. Fortunately, he did find an exit to a fire escape. And courageously, he made his way back through the smoke and flames to another balcony to the group. He led them to safety. Later, another person in the group commented, he said, You cannot imagine the feeling we felt when that young man came back. He came back for us and he said these words. He said, follow me, I know the way. Isn't that what Jesus tells us? He says, I know the way. He tells us that through the gospel. Follow me. Are we helping our young people? Are we helping anyone we know? It's not just young people. Are we helping grown folks we know? Are we helping them to heaven? Or are we just bypassing them? Paul didn't just bypass anyone. You know, we think of the young man Timothy. You know, Timothy is about 40 years old when we read about him. He's a middle-aged man. Are we helping those folks? You know, our opportunities to influence people are short-lived. They're short-lived. We have to take every opportunity we have to influence someone. You know how many times I've seen folks and talked to people who allow their children to influence them instead of the other way around? Listen, we can't take uh, advice from a child. We love our children. doesn't mean they're not intelligent. It means they don't have any kind of life experience. We have to help our children through life. They can't help us through life. They haven't been through life, Right? We help guide them because at some point they're going to have to help guide someone else. What is your life? It has to be a life of persistence. It must also be a life of passion. What are we talking about? It has to be a a life of love. Love and passion. We have to love people who are missing. There has to be love for those in the world who are lost. And a lot of the time, no one even misses them. They're just overlooked. Jesus asked, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now, in the context, he was talking about a member of the flock who goes missing. But listen, lost is lost. doesn't matter. If you're lost, you're lost, right? That's why he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15 and 16. What is your life? Is it a life of passion for the missing? Ask yourself right now. How can I love the missing if I'm missing? Listen, a person could be missing and be present physically. Paul told those at Rome, the power of God unto salvation was the gospel. Romans 1.16 If it's going to be powerful in your life or in the life of someone else, then it has to be first obeyed. And that means it has to be continually obeyed. Right? We have to obey it. We have to continually obey it. It has to have the preeminence in our lives. We can't obey it and then set it aside. Let it collect dust in our lives. It has to be heard and processed in the mind. I have to learn how to how to find relief from the sins and burdens in this life, and then I have to continually keep it where it needs to be. You know, we academically understand the process on how to obey the gospel. I look out, everybody here has obeyed the gospel. We understand the plan of salvation the faith, the repentance, the confession, the baptism, the faithful living, that's academic, right? What, what is your life? Is it a life of, of obedience or is, is it a life of rebellion? Is it a life where you love your family so much you'll do whatever is necessary to bring them to salvation? You know, we, we not only have to have a, a, a life of passion and love the missing. We have to love the the master. We have to love those who aren't missing. That's one of the greatest benefits in the life of a Christian, isn't it? Being able to to lean upon those who who aren't missing, those who have in, endured what I might be enduring right now. Learning from those. Having someone to help guide and mentor. Help you through the rough times and the tough times and in those times that you haven't experienced, but maybe they have. The writer of Hebrews said, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. What is your faith? What is your life? Is it a life of encouraging and edifying those around you so you can live spiritually in a physical world that's full of sin? What is your life? Is it a persistent life? Is it, is it a life of passion? Is it a life of pursuit? It is not possible to separate your physical life from your spiritual life. That is impossible to do that. You can't have a a church life and then your regular life. That's not possible. It is not possible to do that. It is what we accomplish or do not accomplish in the physical life that directs our spiritual life. We must pursue and help others to pursue the important things in this life. That directly impacts our spiritual lives. What is your life? It must be a life 
in pursuit of peace, but more importantly, a life in pursuit of the Prince of Peace. That's our whole point in living a physical life is to live in pursuit of the spiritual, right? Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the only one who can offer rest from the burdens of sin. No matter how bad it gets in this life, we can count on Christ. He said that. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, Hebrews 13, 5. Paul understood that Christ would always be there. He knew that when no one else would ever be there to help him, if he could count on no one, he could count on the Lord. 2 Timothy 4, beginning verse 16. He said, Paul did, At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Now that was when he answered the charges brought against him by Alexander the coppersmith. All his friends left him. Can you Have you ever been in a situation where all your friends just said, Hey, I'm done. I'm not going to help you out. Have you ever been in a position where you needed help from a buddy? And they said, oh, Sorry, man, you're on your own. Paul's been there. And, and they said, no, you're on your own. But the Lord was with him. What is your life? Is it a life in pursuit of the Prince of Peace? But it can't be just that. See, the Christian life is a little difficult sometimes because it must also be a life in pursuit of people. A friend of mine told me one time, there is always a last person to see someone. Now think about that. Someone just disappears, drops out, falls through the cracks, but there is someone who sees that person last. There's always a last time they show up. And there's always a last person who sees them. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I read many years ago about a young man who was planning on taking his life he just didn't fit in. He didn't have any friends. He felt like he was alone in this world. And on his way home from school, on what he planned to be his last day in this world, he he dropped his books and just so happened another young man was was walking behind him and he bent down and he picked those books up and he started talking with him. And as they walked and talked, the young man who picked up his books invited him over to his house. And you know, that led to a lifelong friendship. And many years later, he told his friends, he said, you know, you saved my life because that very day I was planning on killing myself because I didn't have a friend in this world. I didn't have a friend in this world and, and you became my friend. I thought no one cared. You know, sometimes the simplest gesture strikes others as great. See, we have to be Pursuers of people. The wise man said, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I know a fellow in Memphis one time who was the most hateful, grouchiest, 
unfriendliest, unlikable human I've ever been around in my life. His name was Jack. I don't even remember his last name or care to remember it. He complained all the time. I tried to be friendly with him. I'd go visit with him, and he complained all the time about someone not speaking to him. I said, Jack, when's the last time you spoke to anybody? He kept a record of when someone last spoke to him. I said, you're the most miserable human I've ever been around in my life. Well, so-and-so never spoke to me. I said, you know, you don't speak to anybody. You don't, you never speak to someone. You want to, you want someone to cater to you at all times? You want someone to do this or do that? Someone took a wheelchair out to, to wheel him in and he had already walked up the steps and he said, a, do, a day late and a dollar short. I said, you should have just pushed him back out the door. You know? Most miserable person that has ever lived. He, you know, he never showed himself to be friendly. Solomon also said, iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 27, 17. What is your life? Is it a life in pursuit of the prince, in the pursuit of people? You know, this young man, his life was saved because someone pursued people. Solomon also said, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Proverbs 27, 9. That is so important. What is your life? Is it a life like Dorcas had? When Dorcas died, she was surrounded by sorrowful friends and loved ones because of the great service she provided to all those that she loved and who loved her. She was a saint in the Lord's church and she pursued those things that make, that make one a great Christian. And she grew day by day. That's the right question today. Am I in such a relationship with God that if Christ returned today, I will go to heaven? What is my life? What is your life? Can you answer yes to that question? Can you answer yes to the question that if Christ returned, if, if, if time ended, we'll be in heaven together. If you can't answer yes to that, change that today. No doesn't have to be the answer. If you've fallen away, that can be changed through repentance and confession, prayer. God is pleading with all of us. If we cannot answer yes to that question, He is pleading and begging today for all of us to change that. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.